Last week, I started a message, a series that we're calling The End. And I want to speak to you from now until the Christmas season starts about some things the Bible says about the end and how we should think about it. But in particular, I want to talk to you this morning about how to think clearly about the end so that you're not alarmed or panicked and that the preaching of the Word will give us confidence and not kind of what happened when I was younger, and I'm not faulting anybody for it, but the, the end was used as a whip and as a gold and a goad, and it struck fear in our hearts more than it brought comfort. Yesterday, I didn't get to watch the most important football game of the year. The most important football game of the year. I know. <laughs> And I'm telling you, we could win every football, we could lose every football game. If we win that one game, I'm a happy camper. But uh, there was just so much going on yesterday, so I didn't get to watch the game, but I DVR'd the game. Now, you need to know I DVR every game that Georgia plays. And if Georgia loses, I delete the game. I'm not going to watch that game because they lost. But today, I will go home with a big bag of popcorn. I will go home with some boiled peanuts that are down in my basement, and I will sit, and I will watch the entire football game. You want to know why? Because I know the end. They won the game. And because I know the end, preaching about prophecy gives me hope, and it gives me encouragement, and it strengthens me, and that's the goal of prophetic preaching according to the Scriptures and what we looked at last week. Earlier this week, a family in the church took us out for lunch for pastor's appreciation, and thank you so much for all the love that you showed to all the pastors last week and uh, the kindness and the things that were shared and done. And if you weren't here last week, it was very interesting how that one of our deacons, I won't call his name, but it's Garrett Sexton, put my name together with Madonna from Detroit. So it's, uh, you know, that video has been saved. But um, it was a great weekend, but over this lunch, the subject of love languages came up. And as the lady was sharing with Becky and I, she said, now, my love language is not gifts. I don't want to receive gifts. But she very quickly turned to her husband, except from you. I want gifts from you. And she patted him on the shoulder, and he got the message that, you know, although that's not her love language, she does expect gifts from him. There are things that we can naturally expect from God, but there are things that God naturally expects from us. And one of those is that we use these good minds and these good brains that He's given us to think clearly about the return of the Lord. You've already stood quite a bit this morning, and so if you can or unable, we always stand, if you're our guest today, we always stand for the respect, out of respect for the Word of the Lord. So I'm going to ask you to stand again with me if you're able, and let's read the Scriptures. And we're going to look at the second part now that I want to talk about. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. Now that's an amazing comment right there to me in the Scriptures. Paul says... We don't really need to write you about this, for you know quite well, you know quite well that the Lord's return, that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But 
you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Read that with me. Stay alert and be clear-headed. If you know your neighbor, look at them. Because if you don't know them, this could kind of be creepy. You know, they're going to go, what's the preacher going to do next? But look at your neighbor and say, stay alert and be clear-headed. I just saw a father and son bumping each other as they said that. The night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ and not pour out His anger upon us. In other words, we're not destined for wrath. God has chosen not to pour out His anger upon us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when He returns, we can live with Him forever. So encourage each other, build each other up, just as you're already doing. Now, Lord, I pray that when I stand before you, that one thing that can be said, Lord, by your grace, is that this congregation won't need anybody to write them, won't need anybody to tell them, because they know quite well and they understand quite well what the Bible has to say about your return. Lord, I pray that you will help me to stay within the safety of the boundaries of the Word of the Lord and not to go beyond the things that have been revealed to us, but to rest and to build our faith upon that which shall never pass away, not even a comma, not even a crossing of the T or the dotting of an I, but your Word will stand forever. And finally, Lord, I pray that when this message is finished, the Lord, our hearts will be strengthened and encouraged that those, Lord, who have lived long anticipating the coming of the Lord, that, Father, they will walk out of here, God, just a little bit sharper, that those perhaps that have become lackadaisical or lukewarm in their faith, that, Lord, they will repent. And if any are with us today who aren't convinced yet that you are who you say you are, then by your sovereign grace, open their eyes to the wonderful salvation that has appeared to all in Jesus Christ. For it's in your name I pray, and everybody agreed and said, Amen. God bless you. You can be seated this morning. Last week as we began this series, I shared with you that on average, there is at least one reference to the coming of Christ for every chapter that's in the New Testament. Somebody asked me last week, said, Pastor, how many chapters are in the New Testament? There are 280 chapters in the New Testament, but there are over 300 references to the coming of Christ in the New Testament. Now, that doesn't mean there's a reference to the coming of Christ in every chapter, but when you look at the averages like I wanted you to see, this is a subject commonly addressed and talked about. As a young man, and I'm not faulting anybody for this, there's ways that I'm grateful for this, but as a young man, and this became apparent to Pastor Rick and I as we were meeting with some members of the team around here having this conversation this week. Sometimes the coming of Christ was not used to encourage us, but it was used to frighten us. It was used to, to, as a goad. It was used as a whip in our lives. 
And again, that's not said to fault anybody. It was just the intensity with which the coming of Christ was shared. Matter of fact, there wasn't many days went by where the Rick were, we weren't confronted with the rapture and the coming of Jesus Christ. It was always on our mind. It was a frightening thing to consider at times. I shared with you about the time as a young man that I felt that I heard this, this noise and this sound, and I think it was thunder, and I jumped up because I was still here, and I crept down the hall just to be sure mom and daddy were still in the bed because <laughs> if anybody was going, mama was going, and they were both breathing and sleeping, and I slept a little easier that night. But it's inevitable that one day Jesus will come again. One of the things that we were taught constantly was because He's coming again, you've got to continuously share His love. You've got to reach out. You've got to persuade people to give their hearts to Jesus because we didn't want anybody to miss the rapture. We didn't want anybody to miss the coming of the Lord because of the horrible and terrible judgments that would come after that time. And though I still believe that, I've come to see it in a much different light as I've read the Scriptures because over and over the coming of Christ was meant to encourage us and to build us up, to give us a sense of anticipation and not apprehension, to give us a, a sense of longing and a sense of looking for the return of Christ. And rather than today share with you that we preach the coming of Christ to frighten or to cause apprehension. We preach the coming of Christ because of Pentecost. Because on the day of Pentecost, God poured out His Spirit upon the church in a marvelous and a dramatic and a powerful way. God poured His grace and God poured His life. God poured the presence of Jesus Christ into the church. And with His presence, He brought power so that, now listen, this is important, so that inevitably people who love Jesus would touch other people with the love and the grace of God. That the gospel would spread because, not because Jesus couldn't come back until every tribe and nation and tongue had heard, but the gospel would inevitably spread to all the world, to every nation and tribe, every island in the sea had heard the good news of Jesus Christ, and then Christ would come again. And there's a huge difference in the paradigm of being driven by He can't come no one can say when he can come. Even Jesus said of that time, not even the Son of Man knows. The angels don't know. Only the Father knows. But people who have been touched by the grace and the power of God inevitably can't help but share the good news and love of Jesus Christ. So the conclusion for me is, is that if we properly understand the coming of Christ, we're encouraged, we're built up, we're strengthened, and we look forward to sharing that. I remember when Andrew was coming home from his first tour of duty in Iraq and all the battles he'd been in. I can remember us and some others going down to the airport at Detroit to welcome him home and we had banners and gifts and flowers and sure strangers would stop and wait for him to come out the door because other people wanted to welcome a soldier home from Iraq and when he walked through those doors he was tired and he was weary but instantly his face brightened up because even strangers were clapping and cheering and he was smothered in hugs and love because we had anticipated his coming you just can't help but share when somebody is coming to your house. In a few weeks, you'll be hearing children sing, not with apprehension, but with anticipation, Santa Claus is coming to town. And the fact of the matter is there's this joy 
when your family is coming home for the holidays, for Thanksgiving, you'll rush outdoors to meet them, even if it's snowing, because you've been encouraged by the fact there are family members coming to see you and to share your table with you. Last week, you'll remember I shared with you that part of this this encouragement came because Paul was writing because some of the people in the Thessalonican church were frightened that people who had died, that they had missed the rapture. And Paul says, oh no, those that are dead in Christ, they're going to rise first and we're going to meet them in the air forever. We, we talked about that last week. You might want to get that message. This week, one of my dearest friends in the whole world died at 59 years old. And I'm going to tell you, it, for three days, I just grieved heavily. Randy had just recently called me to thank me for some work with missions that we had done. We've been friends. I preached so many times for him. And as I sat and thought about his life and his family, and I grieved for him, it took me a while to finally get beyond the, the shock and the tragedy of such a young and a healthy, vibrant man, man of God, man of faith, slipping into eternity, but then to realize that God in His sovereignty, His race was one. He was with Christ. And the Bible says that we even comfort and encourage one another with those words, that those who have died in faith, they're not dead, but they're alive in the presence of Christ and awaiting the resurrection. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise for that this morning? You see, when the knowledge of the second coming of the Lord is shared properly, it does help us. It helps us to share the love of God. It helps us not only to share in word, but to share in deed. And there's not this frothing at the mouth, and there's not this, this dread and fear, but there's a sense of confidence that as you share, the Holy Spirit will bear witness with you. <laughs> I remember as a boy, I was more concerned about the coming of the Antichrist than I was the coming of Jesus Christ. And I've lived a long time now. As a matter of fact, Wednesday night after service, Pastor Corey came and joined me in my office just to chat. And, you know, I asked him, I said, what do you need, bud? And because I was ready to go home, and he just wanted to chat. And then he shows some real love to his pastor. He says, you know, pastor, you've been in ministry longer than I am old. <laughs> Jerk. <laughs> I said, there's no love in that. And he just started laughing. He said, you know, he says, really, you know? You've been in ministry longer than I am old. And I can remember hearing the stories as a boy, you know, how that the Antichrist had been Mussolini. The Antichrist was going to be Hitler. And, you know, all those guys died. And then I can remember as a boy hearing about that in, in church, how that John Kennedy, when he was assassinated, that that was the beast that the Antichrist was going to raise him from the dead, you know, because he'd been wounded in the head. And, and then there was the stories of Ronald Reagan that was going to be the Antichrist because there were six letters in each of of his name. And then there was the story of, 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 of um, Henry Kissinger. I was in Bible college, and one of the prophecy preachers that came to Bible college said it might be Henry Kissinger, and he gave out all the reasons why it could be Henry Kissinger. And through my lifetime, and I, you know, I, 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 through my lifetime, people who go crazy with this stuff, it seems like every Catholic pope that has ever been has been the possibility of being the Antichrist. And what I've watched over my 64 years is everybody is supposed to be the Antichrist, they just keep dropping like flies, they just keep dying. And I think the message for us is not that there's not going to be an Antichrist, but we've got no business looking for the Antichrist, we're looking for Jesus Christ. We're looking for the return of the Lord and His soon coming again. 
The Bible says Christ died for us. So that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. When he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other, build each other up, just as you already are doing. In other words, the coming of Christ excited them. The coming of Christ enthused them. The coming of Christ sensitized them. Now listen, this is important. Sensitized them to the times that they were living in because they were being persecuted for their faith. And rather than giving up, they were looking up. Rather than giving in, they were pressing in. And there's something about the coming of Jesus Christ that builds your intestinal fortitude or your courage. It gives you guts, it gives you power, it gives you grace to live in this day that we live in. Can you say amen this morning? Second thing that I see in this passage of Scripture is God calls me then to live as I really am, to recognize my true identity, where I come from and who I am. I'm a child of light. You're a child of light, not a child of darkness. Now, it's interesting, the Bible consistently, consistently describes us as sons and daughters of God. We are children of God. But in this point, it's almost like Paul is taking us back and helping us to realize we are children of light. We are in the kingdom of light and not in the kingdom of darkness. Paul writes that people who live in darkness, they sleep or they get drunk. In other words, they're unaware of the times. They're not sensitized to the times. They're living for their own pleasures. They're living for themselves. They're trying to hide what they're doing because they really don't want anybody to know their real lives and their deep lives. You see, when you live with this anticipation that you're going to be with Jesus forever, then all of a sudden you find yourself just wanting to be ready. Not because you're fearful, but because you love Jesus. There's a big difference. One writer wrote in Christianity Today a few years ago an article. It was a fictional article, but he said, Jesus called today and said he was coming. I was so excited Jesus was coming. And then he told me he was at the 7-Eleven down the street. That's only seven minutes away. I screamed at my wife, we got to get ready. Jesus is coming. We were washing dishes. The boys were vacuuming the rugs. Thankfully, the yard was clean due to my good hard work. Only three minutes left to time. Only three minutes left till Jesus got here. And I hollered at my wife, will we be ready? You see, that's not the way we're called to live. We're called to live with joy and anticipation every single day, serving God, not out of desperation, but serving Him because we love Him. I had a just kind of a revelation moment of this last night, and I don't mean anything mystical by that, but we got home from our prayer service last night here at the church, and I sat down and uh, just to get the ESPN, you know, rundown of what had happened and the good news to live it one more time that Georgia had beat Florida. It just feels good to say that again. And all of a sudden, my wife brings me a bowl of soup and some crackers and a glass of iced tea. And, and I said, honey, I'm sorry. I should be in there helping you. She says, no, you watch football. That never happens at my house. You know, and I sat there and she waited upon me and I, I thought how loved I was, but... I was so caught up in the f watching the highlights of the football game, Rick, 
that I forgot to help Becky get dinner ready, but Becky and her love, and I know when she says fine, that everything's not right. Do you know what I'm saying? Anybody, any guys here know what I'm saying? She's, if your wife says fine, it's not fine. But she says, no, you sit there. And I knew she meant that. And God calls us to live our life with joy because according to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 5, you are children of the light. You live in the light of Jesus Christ. You live in the light of the knowledge of His saving grace. You live in the light of the glory of His presence. And by the way, whether you know it or not, God is present in this place today and all is well. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that? <laughs> Hallelujah. The third thing that I say I'd like to call your attention to is, therefore, He calls me, think clearly about the coming of Christ. Now, I believe in a poetic way, in a scriptural way, that he shows us how to think clearly about the coming of Christ. You see, God gave you your mind. It's a good brain. It's a good mind. And he wants you to use it. Your mind is not your enemy. Faith sharpens your thoughts. Faith sharpens your mind. As a matter of fact, parents, please listen to me when I say this. You have a natural right to expect that when your children are born again, they will think better. They will think clearer. They will think sharper. They will make better choices because the old has passed away. The new has begun. And there is a redemption process that that's going on in their lives. They're becoming who Christ created them to be. They're no longer dead in their trespasses and sins. Just this morning, a young girl came up to me and she shared after the first service and she shared with me, Pastor, I've just got to tell you how God has changed my life and what God has done in my life. And she began to describe the new choices that she was making in her life. And I stood there looking at her, just grasping and rejoicing and basking here in this altar after that first service, the change and the the difference that God is making in their life because you're a child of light you're not a child of darkness and there's a reason that he says that in this passage rather than reminding us with the same oh you're a child of God you're a son or daughter of God he says you're a child of light so look at how he tells us to think he says be clear-headed again second time protected by the armor of faith and love now just hold the verse up there for just a moment in other words the armor of God, this you can read about in Ephesians chapter 6. The armor of God, you're protected by the armor of faith. It's protecting your heart from the, from the influences of this world. It's protecting your heart from the pull and the temptations of this world. It's protecting your heart so that you desire the right things and you want the right things. And the Holy Spirit helps you to know when you are desiring the right thing or the wrong thing. Let me give you an example. I listened to Kanye's new album, King. Anybody listen to that? Wow. I just got to tell you. And I just had to kind of wait and listen because I heard he goes to a friend of mine's church now and I heard that Kanye had given his heart to Christ. I've been quiet about this for about two years now about what was going on in Kanye's life. And, um, and so I listened to that album and the lyrics. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a hip-hop fan. I'm not criticizing. It's just... I, it's just not my style of music, you know. And um, when I try to sing it, I just can't. I, I've tried. I've really tried to do the moves and bust the moves. And my kids go, no, no, Dad. But those are bold lyrics. Those are powerful lyrics in that song. And I was listening to him being interviewed on a news, uh, morning news talk show. And, and they said, uh, they asked him why he was 
coming out so public with his face, he says, listen, I have, I have gone out and promoted sex because I was addicted to sex. I've gone out and promoted Hennessy because I was addicted to alcohol. He said, but Jesus Christ has saved me and forgave me of my sins and he's come into my life. He says, if I can promote sex and if I can promote alcohol, it's my duty now, it's my joy now to begin to tell the world that Jesus Christ can save you from your sins and save you from your addictions. Wow. Wow. On another interview, they was asked, do you still experience temptations? You go, well, yeah. He says, but now the Holy Spirit is there to help and strength. He's getting discipled. He's, he's being taught. You see the difference between the child of darkness and the child of light. The scripture says that when you're born again, you are transferred literally from a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light of his dear son. That's why we are children of light this morning. Can we give him another hand of praise and thanksgiving today? He was saying, in other words, whether he realized it or not, he was saying what this, the armor of faith and love is protecting my heart, even when I'm tempted. But then he goes on further and he says, and where is our helmet? The confidence of our salvation. You've been saved if you've given your heart to Jesus. You've been born again. And now this salvation is like a helmet to protect you from the influencing thoughts of this world. Years ago, when I was still traveling, I was speaking in a public forum, and someone challenged me at a Q&A session that I was having. He says, well, it just sounds to me like you're trying to shape, and you're trying to mold people religiously, and to consider and to see Jesus Christ as the only way. I was like, wow. If there's ever been a softball pitch my way, I am fixing to hit a home run right here. <laughs> and I go, well, yes, Absolutely. And the questioner looked shocked and people <gasps> like this. And I said, yeah. I said, I plead guilty. I said, as a parent, I'm trying to shape the way my children think. As a minister, I'm trying to shape how people think. And if you're a parent in this room, and if you're a parent today, if you're not trying to shape how your children think, there are plenty of other forces and people in the world that are trying to shape how your children are thinking today. So yes, I plead guilty to trying to shape my children and to shape others to see that the truth of the gospel. And friends, I'm not worried about defending the gospel. I'm not worried about trying to prove the gospel. Jesus Christ is alive and a real. And when people come in contact with Jesus, when they lay aside their prejudices, when they lay aside their doubts, and they sincerely say to him, Lord, if you're really there, I want to know you, and I trust you, and I submit myself to you, they will find out there is more to this world than this three-dimensional world that we live in. We can live in the kingdom of light. Can we say praise the Lord again this morning? <laughs> Hallelujah. And in this world, we're constantly People are constantly trying to shape us, influence how we think. There are people trying to shape and influence how you think about your money. Sometimes people, well, even last week, somebody was like, Pastor, with Christ coming, how should we be thinking about our stewardship? And I said, I'm going to talk about that, but yeah, but, you know, are, are we supposed, should we be laying up more? Should we be worried and, and increasing our investments? Or should we be buying gold? Or, and I know there are people who use fear about the coming of Jesus, buy gold, you know, gold is the only thing that lasts. Friends, listen to me, listen to me. I was young, but now I'm old. But I have never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging for bread. God will pull us through, no matter what. 
And I will talk to you in a few weeks about what the Bible says about living as stewards in the last days. But it will come out of faith and confidence and not out of fear. I ain't moving to Alaska and hunting moose. You know, I'm not looking for a private island to live on. I want to preach the gospel till the day I die or until the trumpet sounds, and I want to see one more person come to know Jesus Christ. That's how confident I am about the grace and the goodness of God. And the helmet of salvation protects us from panic. And the helmet of salvation then helps us to live faithful lives. I got to just keep moving here. I I look forward then. Now listen, this is important because you're going to go, duh. I look forward to seeing Jesus Christ. I look forward to seeing Jesus Christ. Because everybody gets caught up about the coming of Christ. What are the signs? What are the... You would be stunned at the amount of junk that gets sent my way. You know, this is happening. These nations are getting in place. This is happening. People get so focused upon the signs. You know, you know, have you made your investments here? What about this, you know? Friends, I want you to hear me clearly on this this morning. The focus is not to be upon the times. The focus is not to be upon what's happening. We're to be aware. We're to be sensitized and therefore encouraged by the coming of Christ. But the focus is upon we're going to get to see Jesus Christ. We're going to see Him in all of His glory. When I was a child, we would sing songs like, Oh, I want to see Him look upon His face. When we would sing those songs, I would imagine as a boy the joy and the glory of seeing Jesus. There were times, and even times today, when I'll drive and I'll look up into the clouds. And I was telling Becky yesterday, Do you ever just look up in the clouds and imagine what it's going to be like when Jesus comes and we're called up to meet Him there, to be with Him forevermore? And we were talking about our childhood memories Friends, I got to tell you, I can't wait to see Jesus Christ. And that's what the second of coming is all about. It's about Jesus. It's about responsibility and privilege and not dread. It's about the opportunity and not about fear. It's about this day that we're living in that we get to serve God and we get to share the good news of Jesus Christ and anticipation of His coming. It's about, as we used to say at Woodland all the time, it's all about building people. It's all about building people. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm being built up this morning. Now you say back to your neighbor, I'm being encouraged this morning. That's good preaching, Pastor. (laughs) You see, That's what the coming of Jesus does for us. Look at this. God's readiness. Now, this is Paul writing to a young pastor, Titus. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. What's God ready to do? Give and forgive. Give and forgive. Salvation is available for everyone. There's the potential. Everyone who believes upon Him will be saved. Salvation is available for everyone. We're being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life. In other words, we're being shown what to say no to, and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. And we're being showed what to say yes to. This new life is starting now and is whetting our appetites. I'm wearing a sweater this morning because y'all gave us so much food and pies and M&M Mounds bars that I'm covering up the bulge in the middle. (laughs) 
that would tell you I'm quite on the level with you this morning. You see, the smell of a coconut cream pie, fried chicken, I salivate. It's whetting my appetite. Some of you are hungry right now and saying, hurry up with this message. I will be encouraged if you just let me go to Baldo's and get some fried chicken. You know, you see, that's, you know, the coming of Christ whetted their appetite. I mean, it did something. It's whetting our appetites for the glorious day of retirement, for the Disney vacation. No, for the glorious day. We are salivating for the day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. Somebody give him a hand of praise this morning. We're waiting for that. Hallelujah. When Andrew walked through those doors, people began applauding and clapping. They didn't even know him, but there was anticipation. We're looking for Jesus to come. Why? Because he offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life, the kingdom of darkness, into this good and pure life, the kingdom of light, making us, now listen, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. That's how you live. You have energy. You have drive. You have passion. You have motivation for life. Energetic in goodness. Tell them all this. Build up their courage, Pastor Titus and Pastor Dennis, and discipline if they get out of line. You're in charge. Don't let anyone put you down. In other words, talk about the coming of the Lord. I want it to be said of you, nobody needs to remind you because you understand the coming of Jesus. Well, this next passage I want to read to you, it speaks so beautifully and it speaks so powerfully. But I want you to get, I want you to get the setting for the passage because I dare say that most everyone in this room, you've turned to this passage of Scripture at some point in your life before. And if you haven't, you need to mark it because you'll turn to it again one day. It's the night that Jesus is going to be betrayed. It's the passage that comes as comfort. So many people have told me over the years, I found such comfort here, Pastor. I've got this highlighted. But you've got to understand the context that it came from. It's the night that Jesus is being betrayed. And even though he knows in just a few short hours he will be in the Garden of Gethsemane in such agony it will be like sweating great drops of blood. In just a few hours he will be tortured and then he'll be hung upon a cross to die for our sins, my sins, your sins. But his concern is not for himself. And his concern is not for the torture that's coming his way. His concern is for you and for me and for his disciples. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so... Would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? And when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And people have found such hope and comfort. Sometimes people say to me, say, Pastor, why is it Jesus come back? And I just tell them, because everything's not ready yet. Of that time and of that day, no one knows, the Bible says. Only God knows. But everything's not ready yet. And he's preparing a place for you. I don't know what that place is going to be looking like. One Sunday morning, Amy was riding with me to church, and I was singing a song, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. And she looked at me and she says, Daddy, you're making that up. 
And I go, no, that's a real song. And I, as a boy, I loved that song. And, and you know, I, I think sometimes, though, we look at that song, and we're not as excited about seeing Jesus Christ as, honey, we're going to finally move out of this old shack we're living in. We've got a mansion in glory. <laughs> Hot dog. We're just like the Jeffersons. We're moving on up in life. And sometimes, you know, if you ask the average person, and I've asked this, when you think about a mansion, what are you thinking about? Most of the time, they tell me it's a southern antebellum home, white columns, two stories. It sits on about 50 acres of land, and there's a pond with weeping willow trees, and there's rocking chairs on the front porch. Friends, you can see that in any cemetery down south. Those kind of houses and trees and ponds, they're all over the place in the South. We know how to build funeral homes in Georgia. Let me tell you that right now. (laughs) They're some of the most comfortable, nicest places to sit. But that's not what excites me about heaven. It's about seeing Jesus. We don't know that it's a mansion. He says, I'm going to prepare a place. But I do agree with DC Talk in this. It's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's a big, big yard where we can play football. Somebody say, come on, Victory, this morning. I mean, that's the place that God has prepared for us. It's in his house. Now, remember, he's on his way to Calvary. But his concern is for you. And he says, I, I, I will come. He's not sending an angel. He's not sending an army. Jesus is coming for us personally, and we will be with him forevermore. Isn't that good news? That's good news for my friend Randy. That's good news for you and for me. But when I look at this, I think how different this is from the world's, because in our contemporary world right now, They're telling us that, you know, our reason for being, our existence, there's no reason for us. We're just accidents. We're just cosmic accidents. We're just goo that slid to the zoo. We're somehow or another that there's no point in life. And if there's no point in life, friends, if there's no point at all in life, then there's no accountability to life. There's no accounting for our lives. There's no accounting for what we do because we can verify if we go through history according to the secular, modern secular thinking today, we can verify through history there's no point to anything. There's just more wars. There's just more evil. There's just more famines. There's just more earthquakes. And since there's no destiny to history, since there's no accountability, then every one of us should live and do just what we feel like doing because life is pointless for whatever reason. It's just a pointless reason of existence. You die, you die. I listen to a man on the radio, a philosopher, and he says, you know, if we could just get people to realize, just live for all the pleasure. He said, live for all the gusto as one beer commercial, he said, goes. Because when you die, you die. You just, there's no reason for your life. It's why one of the most brilliant minds that ever lived, Stephen Hawking, what Stephen Hawking said at Cambridge University, there is no hope, there is no future for mankind, there is no hope, there is no future for this planet. We should just therefore build some big spaceships and take the best of the best and see if we can't find another planet to start all over again. That would ruin your tea and crumpets if you were a student at Cambridge University and the most brilliant mind in the world told you that. I mean... Just just cut our wrist now. There's no hope. But when I read this passage, 
When I read this passage, what I'm hearing is history has a destiny, history has a point, and your life and my life, this church, we matter to Jesus Christ, and there is a reason for our living today, and we want to glorify God with it and do good forevermore. That's what the Scripture says. So let me just wrap this up this morning by telling you, first of all, the coming of Christ is intensely personal. It's intensely personal. I'm coming for you. There we will be with the Lord forevermore. There's so many things about God I don't understand, and I want you to listen carefully. So many things about God I don't understand. I don't understand how God can hear a billion prayers at one time, but he does. I stood here as we sang this morning, and I looked for someone that's supposed to be here and is here, that I wanted to greet this morning. As I looked around, I saw so many people with their hands raised and worshiping. And of course, I knew what I was preaching on, but I thought, God, you hear every song, you hear every prayer just being made to you. And I have to struggle with what I'm going to say with you sometime. Because there's this sense God has been so incredibly kind and good to me, to this church. And I see the labor of love that so many of you do. I've told you before, and I I say it in jest, but I mean it with all my heart. Becky's going to be so close to the throne, I'll have to jump up and down to see her. Some of you, you'll be so close to the throne. You've not been seen. You labor in secret. You serve and you find joy in it. You see, knowing Christ and serving Christ, it's intensely personal. As I was meditating on these scriptures and praying, something has hit me like it never hit me before because I have talked to Jesus about this. Lord, I want to embrace you. I want to, I don't mean that irreverently. I don't mean that flippantly. I want to bow at your feet. And as I was looking at this, it's not like I'm going to be and you're going to be at a wedding supper of the Lamb and the head of the table is a mile away and just in the distance I see Jesus and there's some heavenly screens. Jesus says, he's coming for me. He's coming for you. It's intensely personal. And there we will be with the Lord forever. You see, what made that real for me, the Bible says five times, I'm going to leave the stage just a second. The Bible says five times we're to embrace one another. Ron, would you stand up? We're to embrace one another. We're to hug each other. One time it even says, turn your face. We're to, I want to be sure I get a cheek and not a lip. It says we're to greet one another with a holy kiss. Five times we're told to do that. I love you, thank you. If we are told to greet one another like that, don't you think the time will come where we get to greet Christ like that? Five times. It's why we embrace and hug one another at Woodland Church. 
And, and let me say this. If you ever feel like anybody embraces you in a wrong way, you let us know. This hug and this embrace, it's not a sensual embrace. It, it's a family embrace. It's a family hug. It's, it's an embrace in kindness. And so when I think about the coming of Jesus now, I think about His coming. It's very personal. Years ago, I was in Greece. I was preaching, and, and I wanted to go to see some of the various historical biblical sites. I got to preach on top of the Acropolis. I got to preach on top of Mars Hill. One of the things that moved me most, some of you that you like to study Greek, we're told we'll appear, we, you and I will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And that's the Bema seat. I actually went and saw the judgment seat, not the judgment seat of Christ, but the judgment seat that this was brought about. And to my shock, it's not way up here, it's just one step up. It's just one step up, and you and I will stand personally in front of Jesus Christ. And I want to hear, Dorinda, will you stand up? I want to hear that, well done, thou good and faithful servant, welcome home. Isn't that going to be wonderful? That's what the Bible says. So this morning, I want you to know it's a certain thing. Jesus Christ is coming again. Jesus Christ, you can bank on that. You can count. There's a lot of things you can doubt, but don't you doubt the coming of Jesus. The trumpet is going to sound. The dead in Christ are going to rise. And then we which are alive are going to be with him forever. But you say, Pastor, who's he coming for? The scripture is very clear. He's coming for those who love him, for those who love his appearing. Would you stand with me this morning? For those who love his appearing. The Lord who judges rightly will give the crown to me on that day. Matt, the day is coming where Jesus is going to set a crown on your head. That's what the scripture is. He's going to give you a crown. <laughs> Not only to me, but to all those who have waited how? With love for him to come. Now, friends, you need to hear me on this. He is coming for those who love him. And you need to understand, his second coming is going to be very different than his first coming. When Jesus first Christ, when Jesus Christ first came, he came as a lamb being led to the slaughter. But he's going to come the second time as a lion roaring upon his prey. He came the first time, bowed beneath the heavy weight of a cross as he was led up Mount Calvary's hill. But he is coming the second time as, as the king of kings and every knee will bow before him and confess that he is Lord. He came the first time as the son of man. He's coming the second time as the triumphant son of God. He came the first time and they drove a crown of thorns in his head. He's coming the next time. He's coming with all the crowns and all the diadems of this world because the kingdoms of this world belong to him and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess to the glory of the Father, Jesus Christ, his Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Oh, Father, as we stand in your presence right now, hear your people, Lord. We long for we anticipate, Lord. We pray like the early church. Come soon. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. We love the promise of your appearing. 
Now, Lord, I, I pray for some today that if they haven't crossed the line, given their hearts to Jesus, that, Lord, they will reach out to you in faith. They'll reach out to you in trust. I pray for those, Lord, who the coming of Christ hasn't occupied their thoughts and their minds lately, that suddenly, Lord, Jesus, the hope and the anticipation of your return will seize their heart. For those, Lord, like me, standing here this morning with grief in my heart, but with joy as well, knowing where my friends and my family are who have died in Christ, God, you will comfort us. And may we encourage and comfort and strengthen one another in your deep love. If you're not a follower of Jesus, and I never just take it for granted that people are, but you're not here by accident this morning. You're not here just because you decided to be. But God directed your steps to hear a message like this. And I'm asking you, would you consider the truth of this message this morning? Would you invite Jesus Christ into your heart? And you do it simply by just praying something like this, and you can pray with me if you'd like. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for my sins. I don't understand it all, but I know that you're real, and I know that you're there. And I don't understand why you chose to love me so. But I accept your invitation for my sins to be forgiven, to be born again, and for my life, O oh Lord, to be safe and secure in you. So as much as I know how, I commit my life to you in Jesus' name. And everybody who agreed with me in that prayer said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Let me tell you how real this came to me last night. Last night in our prayer service, and Rick, you can come on up here, dear brother. As I was praying, I stopped right over here in this corner because the church looked like an anthill. People were moving around, praying. And I saw people... 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 10 years ago, I never would have dreamed would have given up their Saturday night to come and pray for other people, to come and seek God. And as I stood there, I thought, what an amazing picture of God's grace and salvation. Don't you ever, ever, ever underestimate what God will do through your witness for Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, Lord, I ask you to bless and watch over this church. May we leave here strengthened, encouraged, and built up. And may we share the good news of Jesus Christ each and every day, I pray. Amen and amen. God bless you.